This week on Writers Inc. It was frustrating at first, and then you kind of go with it, and you're like, oh, right. <laughs> right. I have to, if I just go with it, it'll, it'll work. If I, if I resist this, if I think it's got to be uh, my way or the highway, the book is going to uh, beat my ass into submission. So um, I'm just going to go with the book and, and trust in the book. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's In. JD, porch update. Dude, the porch is done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. It's, it's awesome. There's little Adirondack chairs sitting out there. There's a little white bench seat. It, it, it looks like something out of a, a Norman Rockwell painting. Um, the only thing I'm missing now, and like it's pouring rain, and I just realized there's no gutters. Um, so, <laughs> so now I got to get, get the gutter company to come out here. But that, that, that's easy peasy compared to everything else that happened. That's a bait so. and switch, man. You said it's done. I don't think it's technically done. I'm always finding something, you know, like I, it's, it's hard not to look around a house and find, you know, you always see something that, that needs to happen, but we've got a quiet period now. Our garage is the next thing going up. Um, they're starting that on September 7th. So we got like two weeks of, of peace and quiet in the neighborhood. And my neighbors are probably all excited thinking it's completely over and you know, the trucks are going to come rolling in. So like, what did the, was this house just like bare bones when you like, <laughs> was there anything there? No, oh, the, you guys have a roof over your head. Yeah, the, the, the thing was, this house started as a little colonial that was like 800 square feet back in 1955, I think, when it was originally built. Um, and the guy who who bought it, he put addition after addition after addition on it, and it's a little under 6,000 square feet now. So he added a lot. Um, but in every one of those additions, like they, they made no attempt to to hide the fact that they they added to the house, like that nothing blended together. So you could walk from one room to another, and you could tell what decade that particular room was built in. Um, I mean, to put this in perspective. The room that was over the garage, which is about eight or nine hundred square feet, uh, it had green shag carpet, an eighteen-person hot tub, and chrome railings in there. Like it, it looked like my wife, my wife called it Studio Fifty Four. Um, yeah, yeah. And like I, I used to dare her to go in there with a black light just because I, I knew oh. there, were, there there had to be videos of something bad that that probably happened in there floating around somewhere. And like, yeah, everything about that room freaked me out. And like so, so we ended up like we were going to tear the house down at first because it was really we kind of bought it because of the land and the location. Um, but it, it was such a big house and it had good bones. It was one of those deals where we just took it all down to the studs and then had to put it back together again. Um, and then COVID happened, you know, so we didn't want 20 contractors running around while we we're trying to, to live in the place. Um, and we kind of did the construction, you know, fairly, it's a, it's a big house. So like we would live in one part while we were remodeling another part and just kind of shuffled around. So at one point, you know, like the home theater was our, our master bedroom and, you know, like it, we just, we were all over the place, but now all that's left inside at this point is to, to paint. And those guys I think are coming in about two weeks and then we've got the garage going up outside and and then we're done and then we'll probably sell it and move because that's because <laughs> that, that's what you do when you run out of projects nice hey zach you going to thriller fest i don't know yet you, you guys you, I, I want you guys to talk me into it that's that that's the deal here so i don't know what's what's your pitch for thriller fest 
Well, Thr- Thriller Fest is still happening, um, and we should probably talk about this because I, I got an email last night. BoucherCon just got canceled uh, last night, and and mm-hmm. the first email I got was actually from the Marriott canceling my hotel reservation. So I, you know, immediately freaked out. I'm like, what the? F-? <laughs> like, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm, I lost my hotel. Like, I don't know why, and like I was going to get on the phone, and then I got the BoucherCon message like right after that. So I guess they 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 just decided, you know, with everything going on, they they didn't want to they didn't want to go forward. Um, Thriller Fest is is as far as I know still happening. Um, the Grand Hyatt where they've always had Thriller Fest is being torn down. They're putting up a new hotel there. So it's not going to take place there. It's actually at the Sheridan, which is in Times Square, which is a really cool hotel. So I'm looking forward to that. And, and hopefully the, the world won't end in the, you know, in the couple of months between then and now. Yeah, I've, I've got my uh, got my hotel. I got my ticket. Um, there was some jerk called doing some master class, some Borker or Barker guy. I didn't get that ticket. Borker. But, uh, Borker. <laughs> <laughs> and I was uh, really pleased that I, I was able to use my Amtrak points to get a, a free ticket uh, on, on the train from Cleveland to New York. So uh, I'm all ready to go. That's actually a, a fun trip. I love taking the train into the city. Well, I will uh... – yeah, I, I I don't know about any train because we can't take the train from Nashville, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I think I'll probably end up going. It seems like it's going to be a really good time, and uh, you know, as long as as long as one of the three of you in this group isn't uh, too busy being a rock star while we're there, maybe all three of us will get to hang out. So, well, this is the this is the first time that we're going to be at Thriller Fest since we started the podcast. Uh, so the, I think that's that's going to be kind of cool. Like, uh, you know, uh, we're going to be there in sort of a different capacity than than. Well, at least I am. <laughs> yeah. Now you're making me feel like I have to go. You're like, it'll be the first time we're there as the podcast. I'm like, OK, well, we'll, we'll see. So yeah, I think I'll just stay home. <laughs> it's, it sounds like the riffraff there is going to be a little too. It's not worth it. He'll send DJ Borker yeah. in, in his uh, in his stead. So. Well, speaking of conferences, I uh, also want to give a, a quick mention that August 15th is the last day you can purchase the Career Author Summit tickets, and we are not canceling that event. Uh, so, Just so folks know, if you purchase a ticket, you have the option of attending in person or virtually live. So you can sit at home at the scheduled time and, and see the, the presentations that are being made. Uh, and you can make that decision right up until the last minute if you want to come to Nashville or if you want to... Uh, watch it from home and we've also added a third virtual day a bonus day and this is predominantly for our speakers who mostly were coming from out of the country and just couldn't make it from uh you know traveling restrictions and that lineup on that third bonus day is pretty damn strong uh we've got um amongst others we've got rachel heron uh, joanna penn and mark leslie lefebvre caroline donahue uh, those are a few of the people who are going to be presenting on the bonus virtual day. And so it's really like a three-day event. So I just want to mention it because this is the last episode that will air before the deadline hits, which is August 15th. And if you go to thecareerauthor.com and click on events, you can get to the tickets. Um, and I, I will be at the actual event, but I'm going to be bringing a can of mace in case anybody violates my six-foot radius that we're, we're all going to be required <laughs> to have. Um, and I'll also be selling J.D. Barker masks right there at the door in case anybody is looking for a mask. Nice, nice. We we'll just put a bubble around you. I'll see if the hotel can just put a bubble around you. <laughs> I would, I would. And love I'm just going to write pretentious author on the outside. Perfect. <laughs> as long as he signed it for me. Perfect. Yep. I can. Uh, JD is quite the merchandiser. I would not be surprised if he shows up with masks. Uh, <laughs> but we want to give a shout out. Uh, one of our sponsors. 
of the summit is also the sponsor of our podcast and that would be the wonderful folks over at kobo reading life tara and her team are excellent they will help you get set up if you email them you always get a real person responding they will help you set up your promotional uh, tabs. Uh, they will help you uh, set up your pricing if you have questions around international pricing. And again, you get to do this with no exclusivity. So if you want to take your books wide and be able to reach uh, readers in dozens of countries all over the world, head on over to KoboWritingLife.com, and that's where you can get started today. We also want to give a nice shout out to our patrons if you want to become a patron of the career of the career author podcast of the writers inc podcast uh you can do that at patreon.com slash writers inc podcast and you'll be able to submit questions to our monthly listener q a episode so that brings us to the guest for the week jd who is on deck uh this week we've got chuck wendig um, he's been around for a while. He's got an incredible blog called Terrible Minds. So even if you're not reading his books, definitely read his blog. It, it's always inf inform, uh, informational um, and it is funny. Um, but he's he's been around for, for quite a bit. He's written some Star Wars tie-in novels and his latest book, uh, it's called uh, The Book of Accidents, um, which I believe is out now. I think it just recently released. Um, but this should be a lot of fun. Here he is, Chuck Windeck. Did you kill Paul Tremblay? I did. I did. He knows. He knows why. It's it's the pickle thing. I can't. It's like pickles, and I like pickles. And there's a a, a holy war brewing. It's fine. <laughs> well, it's a. Uh... Well, cue everyone in here. We're talking a little bit about the Book of Accidents, which is uh, the, the book you have coming out on uh, July 20th. Uh, so tell us a little bit about, about, about the project and how Paul Tremblay's name ends up in the book. <laughs> um, yeah, the project is a, it's a starts as a haunted house story. Um, a family uh, moves back to um, their sort of ancestral home, so to speak. They leave the city and move uh, into the, uh, the rural Bucks County. And um, it's a house not only haunted by um, abuse and generational trauma, but also by uh, what appears to be the ghost of one of the abusers of the family. And so uh, the family begins to experience a lot of very strange effects. Um, the, the mother's uh, artwork begins to come alive and um, the son meets a new friend who uh, would appear to have some sort of mysterious dark magic uh, and who may not be a friend at all. Uh, and from there it just gets weirder and weirder. So, uh, you know, Paul, I, I always like to drop names of the friends and um, other writers who I admire in, in the books and always give them either a mysterious fate or a strange reference. And uh, Paul has been uh, referenced in, I think, uh, most of my books in some way as of other friends of mine like Delilah Dawson or Kevin Hearn, Stephen Blackmore and so forth. Yeah, I mean, Paul, even his corpse made it into a turkey stew. That's even better yet. I, and I think, yeah, Trembley Town, Trembley Town stew, right? Isn't that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Uh, I know you're, you live in Eastern PA. Or, I do. Right? And I grew up yeah. in Western PA. And you referenced pretty early on in the book, the Darmine disaster, which was in Westmoreland County. So yeah. set that up for us. What was that about? Uh, the mine disaster itself or just the entire idea yeah, of mining? Yeah, like, the, because I, I, I think I, I got what you were doing there, but sort of, uh, you know, that, that mine disaster kind of set the stage, I think, for, for what was to come. So the, almost like a framing aspect. Yeah, sure. Uh, the, any sort of, um, what I find fascinating about any of the mining accidents that happen, not just here, but the world around is, um, they're always viewed as quote unquote accidents, but realistically they're often the result of, um, uh, negligence and uh, putting people where they shouldn't be and, and dropping, you know, men into the dark and giving them issues. 
Um, my grandfather was a coal miner and uh, some of the stories that, you know, kind of came out of there of um, the, the safety issues that were obviously being completely disregarded. Um, it's one of those things where, yeah, they're accidents, but at the same time, kind of like, are they, it's not intentional, but it's also like, you know what you're doing. Like you, there's acceptable losses that are kind of going into this. Uh, and that definitely kind of rolls into some of what uh, the book is about in some ways about what, you know, we view as being sort of accidental, but our, our people's actions being, uh, behind everything. Yes. Yes. I, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil too much. I, I got to tell you, man, I couldn't put it down. Uh, I blazed oh, man, through you. it. I absolutely loved it. It was uh, so compelling. And, and your characters are cool. I mean, any, any couple whose first date is a Slater Kinney concert, like they're all right in my book. <laughs> That's not too bad, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask you about a little bit about um, how, how this book's, how the process for this book may have, may or may not have been different from other books that you've written. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's very different. The, the books are, um, it's weird. I used to write uh, with an outline in mind. I, you know, I very a long time ago learned that uh, I am a pantser by heart, but a plotter by necessity. Uh, I would, you know, when I was trying to learn how to write and writing books, the first five or six books I wrote, um, I would finish them. But then when I was like working on blackbirds, I would get about like three quarters of the way through and it would just unspool like a ruptured testicle. It would just be like, oh, just like, just like, you know, which is how testicles uh, unspool. That's just the thing. That's <laughs> just what they science. do. <laughs> Hashtag science. So, um, you know, I sort of incorporated that as part of my process. I need to write an outline just to get to the end of the thing. But um, Wanderers was a book that broke my idea of how I write books. And I think we really learned to sort of mythologize and um, almost folklorically embrace our processes. Like we give advice to other writers, but then as writers, we take in that advice and assume we have a way we do things and that's how it must be done. Ass and chair, 2,000 words a day. You got to write the outline. You got to do this and that and the other thing. Um, and then you, you know, start a book and the book doesn't work that way because <laughs> every book is different. And, you know, you're a different writer when you enter a book and you're a different writer when you exit that book. So uh, Wanders, I didn't really write an outline. It was a, a book of um, I had written chapters of it that were sort of disconnected throughout the book. Um, it was and it, like I didn't write it in the traditional like I'm going to sit down today and write my 2000 words. It was like some days would be a 300 word day. The next day would be a 3,000 word day. And I wouldn't write for the day after because I'd be like, you know, just trying to figure out what was going to happen next. Um, and, uh, you know, that was not a book that featured a great deal of editing. I mean, a lot of little edits, but nothing um, outside of one big character change at the four of the book. There was not a lot that changed about it. But then Book of Accidents came along. And while that had the similar sort of erratic way that I wrote it, um, it was a book made in editing. Um, it was like, we had a, a lot going on in the early draft. I think it was another, maybe it was 50,000 words bigger, I think, than it is now. Um, and, uh, you know, with the, the great editor I have at, uh, Delray, Trisha Narwani, who thankfully helped me sort of see through all of that because it was, it's one of those books where it's it'd be great if it was just like, you need to cut this section out and now it'll be better. And you're like, great. I could just machete my way through that piece. But it was really all about sort of like picking out. It was like picking up buckshot out of a shot bird or like picking out bits of sinew and, and veins and artists. It was like really almost microscopic work, but a lot of it, <laughs> just a lot of that kind of work. Uh, and it was really made in the edit. So every, every book I'm just learning is totally different and that's good. Yeah. It's inspiring. Uh, 
I, I was reading in an interview, I think you did this for Wonders a few years ago. You said that, uh, you know, we feel so damn fortunate to have found something that works, then we become afraid to deviate. But it sounds like you're not afraid yeah. to deviate. Uh, yeah, just because at this point, you know, I, I think that's just how it has to be. And I, it's, it was frustrating at first, and then you kind of go with it. And you're like, oh, right. <laughs> right. I have to, if I just go with it, it'll, it'll work. If I, if I resist this, if I think it's got to be uh, my way or the highway, the book is going to uh, beat my ass into submission. So uh, I'm just going <laughs> to go with the book and, and trust in the book. And is that any different than the Star Wars uh, aftermath stuff that you write? Or do you, is it also yeah, book by book for that too? Totally. With that one, we had to, I had to write a, a synopsis because Star Wars didn't want to just be like, go for it, write whatever you want, and we'll just see how it turns out. Um, I mean, while they were fairly open with what they allowed me to get away with, it still came up in synopsis and treatment beforehand. Um, but that first book, first book of Aftermath, was weird because, like, they originally, like, I tweeted about wanting to write that book on September 4th of the year prior to the new movies coming out. And then um, it came out on September 4th one year later like literally day to date one year later which is a very fast for those who know publishing that is a fast 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 publishing turnaround so originally it was supposed to come out in november of that year uh and they said you know good news it's gonna be great we're gonna um release it two months earlier uh that just means you need to turn in a draft two months earlier and i only had three months to write the first draft so then i suddenly had one month to write a first draft and i, I literally wrote that book uh in a month First draft, anyway. I mean, obviously there were edits, but it was a, it was like really one of those falling out of a plane and build your parachute on the way down kind of situations. That that canon is is quite extensive and it has some really hardcore fans. Uh, what what have been your interactions with with readers, uh, maybe positive and negative? Um, generally, the, it's been positive. I mean, Star Wars fans, sort of as a rule, are especially when you're meeting them in person, are are fantastically lovely people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I count myself among that and, uh, you know, they just have such a love for anything Star Wars and, and not everybody loves every piece of Star Wars, but they usually have something that they love and that's enough. Um, there are of course people who are not as nice, uh, and they tend to be the people who are more online than in person. Um, I have not really had any awkward situations in person, definitely had some bad interactions, uh, online and, uh. So much so that uh, it's possibly why I'm not working for Star Wars anymore is because some of those fan interactions um, were particularly noisy and problematic for both me and anybody involved in that process. Wow. Uh, You're fairly engaged on Twitter. Is is that the arena? That's a very, that's an understand. (laughs) That's like a a very kind way of putting it. Yeah, I'm I'm terminally in that hell site, um, that awful awful bird realm. (laughs) Uh, well, I mean, luckily you didn't start there. Uh, you, you, you have yep. a long history of, of being uh, not only a, a fantastic writer, but uh, a, a integral part of the community. And you started blogging at Terrible Minds a long time ago. Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah, um, God, it's been 20 some years. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what role does, does the blog play for you now? Uh, it's a little lighter because, you know, quote unquote, people don't read blogs. Um, but also, like, you know, it's just hard to sort of say... I don't always have as much new to say, if that makes any sense. I don't want to sit there and just uh, blog for the sake of blogging. Though once upon a time I did, but it also felt like I was conjuring new things to say because there wasn't Twitter or such a um, strong social media presence. Um, I originally started it as a way, you know, for me to complain about me to me, right? I was like, 
I was, I didn't know it wasn't even a WordPress installation. It was just an HTML site originally. And I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know anyone was even reading it. So I would just talk about my writing problems and how I was solving them or how I wasn't solving them. Uh, and it was me yelling at me about me. And then uh, a friend, Will Heinmarch, um, uh, who wrote, writes a lot of great games and uh, role-playing stuff, he um, suggested I do a WordPress installation. So I did. And it was like weird because it was like turning on the lights in a dark room and realizing there's like 20 people like watching you. Like, <laughs> oh, God, I was not doing this quietly all along. People were paying attention. So uh, that was pretty strange. But I kind of kept going with it and was always really almost in an egotistical way, a blog about me. Like I was never attempting to um, tell people what they had to do. It was always the things um, I always tried to be somewhat aware of my survivorship bias that I was, you know, writing things that worked for me or suddenly stopped working for me as was the case in some of these books. Um, now it's slowed down a little bit, um, but I still pop over there to do, um, you know, sometimes some writing talk or culture talk or uh, um, definitely announce book tour dates and book release stuff. Right, right. Did did the blog eventually give birth to the Kickass Writer? Yeah, literally. Uh, I would wrote the, I wrote those posts, and then Writers Digest was like, "What if we put them in a book?" And I was like, "I, I mean, why? If you're paying me, of course. <laughs> like, normally this thing doesn't make me any money at all. So if there's an opportunity here to uh, make anything, uh, and it still continues to feed me via royalties, so um, I can't be too mad at that. Nice, nice. I'm sure you get approached uh, for advice all the time. Uh, what is what what's a sort of a pretty canned response you give to most writers that you think applies to most writers? Um, it's tough because obviously every writer is different, but there are and there's very few truisms in the sense of like what works for one person will work for all people. But I mean, in terms of just basic advices, you need to learn to finish what you start. Because um, way too many writers, and me even certainly, you know, coming up uh, as a writer, uh, we just kind of get halfway through, and then you find the next shiny thing. You're like, oh, that one, that new book is far sexier than this one. I shall, I shall attempt to woo that one instead. And then you're like, you're not learning. First of all, you're not getting that really vital sort of dopamine hit, right? Because when you finish something, whether it's a piece of shit or not, you're like, I finished it. I feel really good. Like I did, I did something. I accomplished a thing. Uh, but you also learn how to finish, like in, in the tent, in the sense of a narrative way, like ending a story is obviously part of a story. In fact, it's arguably one of the most important parts of a story is in ending. And if you don't practice that part and you only keep practicing the beginning or the middle again and again, you're not really iterating all the way through. And so um, just, you know, most, as I say, most writers uh, finish one book every never. And so you're better off trying to be one of the ones who even just finish one, it puts you in a, in like rarefied air to be able to finish a single book. That's a good point. And I think because so much, so many of us are in the same circles, we, we get tunnel vision, we get siloed and we think that everybody does this, but, but finishing a book is a big deal. It is a big deal, and you should be super proud of yourself if you've done it. Yeah. Yeah. Way back in 2012, you did a Lit Reactor interview, and you talked about having a foot in in both worlds. And I'm I'm assuming back then that was the traditional publishing world and and the independent publishing world. Oh, probably. Yeah, that's yeah. probably what I meant. I assume that's what I meant. Yeah. I sometimes I I like I can't remember what I wrote right a year ago, much less. <laughs> We'll go with that. Yeah. 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 I, I could pretty much tell you anything that you said. You'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what I said. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. yeah. Not as much. If it sounds good, I did it. That was <laughs> so, good job, so where are your feet these days? 
Um, mostly pretty squarely traditional. Um, just because, and it's not that I have any issues with self-publishing or people who do it, um, but it just takes a lot. It's a lot of work. And um, I did not find that it was immensely successful for me. Some of it was. The writing advice stuff was. I did pretty well with that. And those books are still out there for that purpose. And they still um, have a, a small, steady flow of uh, income that comes from it. Um, but I've just done, in terms of fiction especially, I've done much better on the traditional side. And I don't have the... Uh, I just don't have the stuff in me to do self-publishing like other people do. Um, Cause it's a really a, a, a hard road to hoe in terms of like, you're not just the writing. Cause and some people assume like self-publishing is like, well, writing, and then I'm just going to throw it up on Amazon. I'm like, ah, and then there it is. I did it. You know, you gotta, you know, cover design and ebook design. You, you gotta either be able to do all that stuff yourself and marketing and advertising, or you've got to be willing to pay other people to do it. And uh, at the end of the day, I had just enough, um, you know, my feet planted uh, inside traditional publishing enough that I had editors who um, I was friends with and I have an agent who obviously pushes it that way. And uh, it's been, I mean, I like to think fairly successful, but I'm always aware that it may have to go the other way or may I may want to go the other way. If there's something that a publisher doesn't want, um, I am perfectly comfortable uh, putting it up in that direction. But the other issue too with self-publishing is we've, we've narrowed the marketplace a little bit there was such a heavy reliance on amazon being the single magical bullet that would make self-publishing wonderful and it would kill traditional publishing in some people's view uh that the reliance on that i think has actually limited the marketplace because amazon is a hot ass mess just to try to find what you're looking for on amazon it's hard to browse there it's, it's different if you're like i know this author and i'm going to look for this author's books but even there if like you search for my books on there you know, every five or six books, you get a, a row of people who are not me. Yeah, all um, the sponsored listings. Yeah, all the sponsored listings, promoted listings, or books you might like. And you're like, it's sometimes it's even hard to pick through uh, what is in there. So it's and it's getting messier and messier as more and more stuff gets just uh, sort of upchucked into there. So it's trickier to deal with Amazon. Actually, I started to have more success selling stuff directly. Um, I was using PayHip as a delivery system, and it allowed me to deliver undrm'd work that was. I could give everybody a PDF, an EPUB, a Kindle file uh, in one go. They buy the you know one book, and then all of those arrive in an email, and then they just have them. And I don't you know have to go through any sort of um, larger marketplace. And then for as much as people are like, well, but Amazon gives you a bigger cut of the percentage. Selling it directly gives me an even bigger cut of the percentage, and so fewer sales yield bigger um, income, which is uh, not a bad thing. Are you sending any directed traffic when you're selling direct? Uh, as in, like, do I? Like, are you running ads to your book no, page? No, just, or... uh, just out of my blog. I don't, okay. yeah, I don't, uh, it's just a small, I could probably do better at that. But again, then I, I feel like I would do that and take less time away from uh, writing books, which I yeah. would, at this point, just much rather be writing books. Yeah. Well, Pretty much with anything. Like, yeah. do you want to cl like clean up after dinner? No, I would much rather be writing books. <laughs> so sorry. Not at this time. I don't ever use that argument with my wife, but um, you could theoretically. Yeah, I could. I could theoretically. Yeah. <laughs> I would die, but I would try. <laughs> what What are a few of those aspects of self-publishing that you that for you would just be dreaded work that you would never want to touch? Um, really, like all of the back end, you know, trying to game the system like you it feels like you need to kind of 
game it in some way, whether it's through SEO or through price jiggering and figuring out like what's the sweet spot for the prices and trying to get to the, all the blogs and reviews and try to get people to point to the thing and leave reviews. It just feels after a while, like you're always trying to, um, like you're out in the middle of the ocean and you're trying to swim to the surface and just stay above it. Um, other people do it really well and they um, are masterful at how they uh, orchestrate those, um, you know, levels of sales. But I, I don't want to be Mr. Salesman guy. I don't want to be like, my books, my books, my books. Everybody, I have these books for sale. I um, want to talk about my books, but not like to the point where I feel like I, that's all I can talk about. Uh, and it just, it, it like wears on my soul to have to even think about doing that. And to your earlier point, uh, any of us could do that. Like we could learn those skills, but then that's time right. not spent writing. Right, right. And, 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 you know, the other trick is it's easy to say, well, okay, that's fine. You're going to focus on those things, but then and you just release a book when it's ready and when you have all these other uh, either skills or a team in place. But self-publishing often relies on people who produce quickly and a lot. So... You know, at, and often at a lower price point, two ninety nine, three ninety nine, four ninety nine, something like that. Which again is a, a great price point for eBooks, but it gets really like harder and harder to kind of do that treading water thing. And then Amazon will have this new program where you put it in, and it's a Kindle Unlimited, and there's a random pool of money that you don't really know how it's determined, and we're just going to give you a slice of it every month, maybe kind of sorta. And then people are other people are gaming the system or stealing your book and reposting it for themselves and figuring out how to just get page clicks and it just after a while you're, you're just like i just want a book on a shelf in a quaint victoria village <laughs> like we can all just sit there and drink tea and read this uh, book and not worry about all of that other stuff yeah that sounds nice <laughs> doesn't it though <laughs> i'll do that though also alcohol not just tea. yeah yeah of course uh, yeah. you uh, appear to be in a in a pretty nice writing space is this a writing shed or a writing room that you're in Oh, I, it is, I call it the writing shed. I suppose it has gone beyond pure shedliness. Um, <laughs> uh, the last place I had was literally a shed I ordered online and had it retrofitted, but this is actually, I had it built from the ground up. Um, but it is, from the outside, it still looks like shed. So um, though the, the local permit department was not as keen on this one being called a shed for permit reasons, so it is an <laughs> accessory building. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good. It's got HVAC and uh, some bookshelves and a couch. And how, how does that affect your writing schedule as far as when you write or how you write? Um, it just codifies it because like before when I had, uh, you know, I got the shed as sort of a response to having a four-year-old. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like four-year-olds, they don't give a shit about your writing schedule. They're just like, <laughs> I, I always say, like he's like John McLean. He's coming in through the vents. Like you can't <laughs> keep him out if I have an office in the house. Um, but having a, this like distance from the house seems to like kind of, pop that territorial bubble enough and keeps it sort of separate. And so um, the other side effect of not having the shed was I would kind of never not be working. Um, if you have a computer in the house and an office in the house, I'll be like, oh, do I have a free moment? Well, I'm going to go just kind of saunter over there and just, oh, I'm just answering an email. And then it's like nine o'clock and everyone's like, where are you? <laughs> so uh, this allowed me to sort of like codify a writing day, like get up, you know, breakfast and all the coffee and whatever needs to wrangling happen, needs to happen. And then here I am and I do that work until uh, the end of the day, so to speak, you know, whenever that would be. And then I'm back out. I lock the door and I don't, um, unless there's something really, I'm doing an event or something, generally speaking, I close that door and I don't come back in until the next day. Nice. Are you still pretty much a first thing in the morning writer? 
yeah, I have to be, but like, I, I, you know, I would say I have my intellectual energy points and they get spent on something either way throughout the day. So I might as well spend them first on writing. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Uh, and that, that's when you have most of your decision-making power. So that, that certainly makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I definitely have most agency in my life in the morning and people also leave me alone too at this point. So that's good. <laughs> Well, great, man. I have uh, w- one more fun question for you. We can kind of wrap up with. Uh, yeah. You've you've been you've been in the, in this industry a long time, and things have gotten pretty crazy the past couple years. Just yeah. generally speaking, in any way you want to answer it, wh- where is the publishing industry headed? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, it's funny, like having. I mean, I have been in it a long time, but in the grand scheme of things, not a long time. It's been ten years, which is long, probably for most writers. But in the you know, it's not like I'm gonna you know. I'm 80. I've been in your <laughs> trenches. The word trenches for a long time. Kids today with their hair and their clothes and their self-publishing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where publishing is going. I like to think it's kind of going back to ground a little bit. Like with, I, I like the fact that bookstores are doing well. Um, you know, I know all my locals and just in general, the numbers are up on independent bookstores. So um, considering I find them to be generally speaking, excellent browsing experiences. And um, most indie stores, especially these days, are genre friendly. They didn't always used to be. And there's still certainly some who will you go and be like, hey, check out my science fiction book. And they like the nose goes up and spit, spit on you like you're, a, like you're a rat stealing pizza. Um, so I think that's good. And I think publishers are doing well with that, especially on the physical print side of things. I think... Um, they need to still keep ebook prices lower. They're hesitant to do that, I think, in terms of the Amazon giving Amazon too much power, which I understand. It makes sense, but also um, is not ideal. Um, I don't know where it's going. It's tough because all the publishers are also becoming one giant like hell hell blob. Like there's like you know the Penguin Random House coming together. You're like, oh okay, well that's too much. But then they're like, we might also buy Simon and Schuster. And you're like, please. Don't do that. I don't, I don't. I would like there to be multiple more publishers is better than fewer publishers. So I, um, that's a concern. Uh, I'm not thrilled by that idea. Um, I like to think too in publishing. One of the positive trends is more publishers, and I can feel this intimately that they're uh, less um, certain that social media is how you sell books. Because for a while there, especially when I was starting out, it was like, oh great, you've got Twitter. Well we don't need to do anything. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure you do. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not just on me. Uh, then you should be paying me a marketing budget in addition to the uh, advance for the book. So I think um, most of my publishers have sort of come around to the idea that you can't just be like, I'm going to tweet the cover to my book and just let the money roll in. Like it's all going to, like you can sell like 10 books, a hundred books, but they need thousands of books to be solvent. And uh, you just can't do that with Twitter. There's too much noise, too much stuff going on. Um, too much culture war stuff. I mean, obviously, and I participate in some of that from time to time, but it's a, uh, you know, it's not the type of thing. And people really resist sales pitches. Like they implicitly distrust them, um, I think. So kind of moving away from seeing that online mode as being the only way to be successful has been useful as well. So I don't know. It's a, it's a mixed bag. I'm, I'm hopeful, maybe hopeful. And the pandemic didn't kill the industries. So that was a really good sign. All right, let's start with Zach, because when I think of Terrible Minds, I think Zach Bohannon. Oh, my God. 
Uh, you think you're really funny. I like I'm it. I'm trying. I'm trying. It's all good. No, I I really uh, I really enjoyed this interview. Um, <clears throat> you know, Chuck is it's awesome. I've been I've been a fan of his work for a while, both with uh, his blog and and with his books. Um, and I've actually got his book Wanderers is next on my on my list to read. I've, I've been wanting to read that book for a while, so I'm pretty uh pretty excited. But uh, but no, it was it was it was a really good interview. It's just it's interesting hearing. Um, you know, some of his insights from someone who's, you know, been around the industry and, you know, he's, he's obviously made, um, a name for himself amongst writers, like with his great blog. And, um, you know, like one thing I really like about him is he is, I mean, a really good uh, example of someone who's just themselves on, on social, you know, on social media and their mailing list on, on his blog, um, I mean, you can tell that that's very genuine and he's just like that goofy dude and he's not playing it up for a character or anything like that. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the interview. I, I like where he mentioned that he's a pantser by heart and a plotter by necessity. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think that's that's kind of where I'm at at, at this point. Like I, I love to pants stuff, um, but we've been talking about this in the last couple episodes. I'm finding that if I at least lay a little bit of a roadmap out in front of me, I, I've got far less uh, wasted words. Um, I've got a new project that I'm working on with Patterson and he's, he's walking me through that, the whole outline process from start to finish. And, um, that, that's really cool for me to, to have somebody like that, just kind of showing me how, how he does it. Um, and it's, you know, so we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Um, the other thing that he mentions is, is you can't be afraid to deviate from what works. Um, that's huge because I know so many people, they have that one book that, that hits and, you know, that formula is kind of stuck in their head and it, it feels like every, the whole world is expecting them to rewrite that same book again um, or they've got to hit that magic formula again. Um, think, think of Gillian Flynn. I mean, she's at home right now writing the follow-up to Gone Girl, um, you know, or the next book in, in, in her life anyway. It's got nothing to do with Gone Girl, but the, the, the point is, I mean, how do you follow up something like that? Um, or even Josh, you know, with Bird Box, you know, like that, that, you know, people are always holding up certain books over certain authors' heads. Um, so, yeah, you can't be afraid to, to deviate. Um, and also just, you know, finish what you start, you know, that, that was another, another big thing, because I think we all get, um, you know, imposter syndrome at some point in a, in a novel and it's real easy to put it down at like that two third stage and, and not write that ending. Um, so yeah, just get that last page down on paper. Well, and like to take that a step further too, you were talking about, you know, um, the impossibility of falling up a hit like Gone Girl or, or Bird Box, like this dude wrote for Star Wars. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad you guys touched on that because I just, I can't, and he played it pretty cool when he was talking about it. I mean, he was obviously was being honest about it too, but I just couldn't imagine being hired to write for of all series like that one with that much lore and that much fanfare and how everyone is just going to pick it apart. But it was really cool for him to mention um, you know, that, that most of his experiences though, um, were, were really good, especially when he could keep himself offline, which I know he has a lot of trouble doing. <laughs> so, yeah, t- tying into that, I, one of the things that I, I was really impressed, I've been impressed with in, in the conversation, I think it, it came out too, was Chuck, um, he does a lot of stuff. You know, he's involved in many different kinds of projects, uh, fiction and nonfiction and, and I love that model because I, I think for me, I, I'm always worried about getting stagnant. I'm always worried about just kind of doing the same thing. I lose interest. And I think to to look up to Chuck and see like, you know, here's a guy who's, you know, not that our, our paths are ever the same. We can't replicate someone else's path, but like just to kind of see 
the diversity of activity that he has going on is really encouraging to someone like me who has a hard time focusing on something for a long time. He reminds me a lot of Kevin J. Anderson, um, just from a career standpoint, you know, just kind of writing all over the place. And I, I know for me personally, I, I do collaborations because it helps me recharge the batteries. You know, it's, it's nice when you, you've got another voice in the room and it, it kind of takes you in a direction you wouldn't normally go and it just keeps it from, from getting stale. Um, I wanted to touch on the you know the Star Wars thing a little bit because I get this question a lot. Like I, I actually w- wrote for Buffy the Vampire Slayer back in the day. I wrote a couple tie-in novels for that, um, and it's not a difficult thing to break into, um, and it can be pretty lucrative. Um, so if that's something you're you're interested in as an author, you know, just open one of those those covers up and just look at some of the, the names of the players. You know, like in the um, acknowledgments, they may mention who the editor was, you know, who the publisher is, that kind of thing. Um, but it's not difficult to do. I know in in the world of, of Buffy, like I, I was sent a you know basically the Buffy. Bible, you know, like this is all the material that you need to know in order to write in this series. Um, they didn't make me write a detailed synopsis. I had to give them a vague idea of what the story was going to be about. And the, the main thing was I had to leave all the characters as I found them, um, meaning I couldn't kill off Buffy. I couldn't kill off, you know, like a main character. I, I could make up a character and kill him off if I wanted to. But you have to basically put all the players back in the box when you're done playing with them. Um, and, and all of those universes are like that, whether it's Star Wars, Star Trek, um, you know, they're all the same. I'm curious, like, I don't want to go off on a big tangent because we're talking about Chuck, but is there, maybe we do an episode about this later because I'm kind of fascinated now, but is there like a different, like, submission process for getting involved in something like that? Or is there anything really different on that end about, like, if someone wants to get involved in that? Not really. Um, you know, it, it actually, I, I got the phone call about it because somebody was supposed to write a, a particular book for, for Buffy and they, they had another contract and they weren't able to get it done. Like they, they basically bowed out at the last minute and I, I knew some of the players. Um, but I, I know other people that, that write in those universes and they've literally gotten into them just like I said. You know, they opened them up and, you know, they, they saw this is who the editor is. They, they sent an email over to that person and said, hey, I'd love to, to write in this particular universe. If the opportunity comes up, here's a list of my back catalog, you know, because you have to give references in some way or another um and you know just see how it goes i mean it's it's just like anything else in this business you've got to raise your hand and ask the question or nobody's going to call on you yeah i I also too um i want a quick mention here that i i read book of accidents uh and i I had a hard time putting it down um so i know like we're talking about chuck the guy but like i I also want to mention like this this book is really good if you're into sort of the the dark um Blake Crouchian style of fiction. Uh, this is definitely a book for you. You, yeah, you got, you just sold me mentioning Blake. And I know, <laughs> did he? Re- he killed Paul Tremblay. <laughs> was, I was like, really? I'm like Paul's like the nicest dude. No, I'm just kidding. That's what I always tell people. I always tell when I friends, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm gonna kill you in a book. And they're like, what? I'm like, no, it's a compliment. It's a compliment coming where you want me to kill you. I kill the people I like. The, the funny thing that happens there, if you think about the, the backside of that, like anytime you write a, a, a novel for a traditional publisher and you mention the name of a real person, you have to actually get permission, you know, to, to get the lawyers, you know, to make them happy. So at some point he had to reach out to Paul and say, hey, do you mind if I kill you in this, this book? <laughs> and and that, that, that had to go into writing somewhere and it's on file, you know, in some, some file cabinet in the legal office over at whoever the publisher was um, in case Paul ever decides he doesn't want to be killed. Well, yeah. no, no I, I don't know Paul that well, but a little bit. I'm sure he's got it framed on his wall, if anything. So. <laughs> I'm, sure he was, I'm sure he was honored. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, Chuck's a great guy. Uh, really, it was a fun interview. Great book. Check it out, Book of Accidents. Uh, yeah, it was, was a lot of fun, and we're really grateful that he came on the show. Uh, so, all right, J.D., who's on for next week? I'm excited for our next guest. 
Yeah, next week we've got Richard Chismar coming back. Um, so another another sophomore event. Um, he's got a new book coming out called Chasing the Boogeyman. It comes out uh, August 17th. Um, Rich, Rich is a great guy. I mean, he's the founder of Cemetery Dance. He's been in the industry for a really long time. Um, fantastic at just telling any kind of you know small town type story. He's just, for whatever reason, he's just able to rope you right in and bring you into that small town and take you back into whatever decade he decides to set it in. Um, always a good time to read. Um, his short story collections are phenomenal so and, and this this book is fantastic too it's got a really neat twist to it which we'll, we'll get into a little bit more next week yeah i don't want to spoil it uh, and, and i'm gonna ask richard about it but it, it is a, a different genre maybe for richard i don't know i don't want to say too much about it but uh it's, it's got an interesting twist to it absolutely all right well to our listeners make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.